You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jackie Alamany, author of The Early 202 and a congressional correspondent for The Washington Post. My guest today is Senator John Bozeman, the senior senator from Arkansas and dean of the Arkansas delegation. He's here to discuss the status of the Biden economic agenda, what Republican senators want in it. But first, let's begin with food production. Senator, welcome. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today at The Post Live. Well, thank you, Jackie, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. So all eyes right now are on the cargo ships anchored off the coast of California. So we've got to talk about the supply chain issues that we're seeing specifically with regards to trucking. Um, You are supportive of legislation to help train additional truck drivers to move goods more rapidly across the country. How do you think that this is going to alleviate the supply chain bottleneck that we're seeing? Well, we've got a huge problem on the ports. In the past, we've had problems periodically on the West Coast. Now we've, it's a real concern because we've got it on both coasts right now. And nobody really seems to know how to alleviate the problem. One of the, one of the solutions is not only for the port problem, but just moving commerce in general is to try and get more, more truck drivers. And when you look at the numbers that they're gonna need, you know, as we go forward, the numbers are really staggering. So one thing I'd like to see is, is make it such that with training and this and that, there's no reason that those that are younger than 21 could not start driving uh, on an interstate basis. Uh, I, they do this in the military uh, and have done it in, our, in the past in our nation. There's no reason that uh, this would not help alleviate the shortage. And trucking in general outside of the supply chain bottleneck is important for agriculture in terms of moving food across the country. How would additional truckers help farmers in the agricultural community? Well, it's just, it's one of those choke points. As I go around Arkansas, as I go around the country, uh, there's two things that people talk to me about. They talk to me about labor and they talk to me about the supply chain. And labor is just difficult. It doesn't matter if you're trying to hire truck drivers, Uh, It doesn't matter if you're trying to hire engineers on a train, uh, people that work in restaurants. The list just goes on and on. So because of that, uh, we really are in a crisis situation. So this is something that we have to address in visiting with the truckers. Not only do they need drivers, uh, but I was visiting with an individual the other day. He had 30 trucks that were sitting idle because they couldn't get any parts. So these are things that we got to be addressing. And I, to be honest, I'd like to see us addressing some of these things rather than the address, the, what we're spending a lot of time on right now. And one of the pay-fors that have been floated by Democrats in order to fund the social spending package uh, that's being hashed out that might potentially look like $1.75 trillion is a step-up basis on farms. You have been vocal and outspoken against uh, this as a pay for, how would this affect farmers? Well, it would affect them so, so very negatively because the farmers have a tendency to have land, have assets in that regard, but but are very, very cash poor. So we have an excellent economist on the, on the uh, minority ag staff. And I said, John, tell me how this would affect farmers. And so he got a bunch of graphs and charts and made it such where even I could understand it. And it wasn't good. So I said, ask somebody else to do a study and tell me what they think. Get the best people in the country. 
They asked Texas A&M to do that study. Dr. Outlaw did it. What they found was that 92 of the 94 farms that they've been studying for decades, the two, 92 of the 94 would be affected. The two that weren't, uh, they had a model where they, they leased everything. So they really didn't own anything. But those 92, the average was $720,000 that they owed. In addition, uh, if some, you know, if you had a situation where you had an inheritance, so uh, this is a huge thing because of the farm community rising up. Even the most liberal, uh, the most progressive farm groups in the country, all of them basically said, "No, you know, we, we just can't do this." And I think that's pretty much taken off the table right now. I hope it is. And I'm wondering what else you think Congress and the president himself can do to end the supply chain crisis. Well, I think we, we, we have to address it and just making it such that uh, we have people working uh, around the clock on the ports and things like that simply isn't going to do it. So it's, we, we really need to, to make it such that this is an all out uh, almost like we've done so many other things. This is almost like a vaccine situation, just an all out uh, call to arms in the sense of how can we figure this out? You know, how can we break through? And it, and it would be such that if we, can, if we can solve the labor issue and the supply chain issue, I think the economy is really poised to burst out, but it's not going to do it as long as those two things are hanging over. And I want to get to um, the VA and is the issue of veterans health care. A large percentage of veterans were concerned about getting the vaccine, especially um, because their spouses or the spouse of their caregiver wasn't eligible at the same time. You and Senator John Tester authored legislation to improve access for vets to get the vaccine. What is the status of that bill? You know, we talk a lot about Democrats and Republicans and, you know, having a uh, you know, a relationship that's not a good one. But this is a great example, working with, you know, for our veterans, making sure that they're getting the care that they need. So what we found was when we were going home, visiting with, with people uh, during the pandemic, uh, you had a situation where the veteran was able to get a shot, but the caregiver wasn't, or the spouse wasn't. And so we asked the VA about that, and they said, that's right. So uh, Senator Tester and I actually got some legislation together and, and, and were able to get that fixed. Uh, you'd think that, that they would have the administrative power to do that, but, but it's such that they didn't, but Congress acted. So I, I think that's a great example that we can work together. And it's also a great example that there are many issues in Congress that traditionally uh, Democrats and Republicans do a good job of, of solving problems. And just last week, um, you had sent a letter along with other members of the Republican Party uh, to the Senate Veteran Affairs Committee. Um, sorry, you and the Senate Veteran Affairs Committee sent that letter to Secretary McDonough on um, implications that the vaccine mandate might have on the VA workforce and the ability of the agency to provide services to veterans if employees are let go because they chose not to receive the vaccine. Have you heard a response from the administration yet on, on that issue? No, we're actually going to meet with the secretary in, in, the, in the near future and discuss that with him. But we worked so hard to get the veterans backlog down. Uh, also, the VA is like everyone else. Labor's difficult. And, and I'm a person, I've had the shot. Uh, I'm in the process of getting the booster. 
I believe in the vaccine. I think people ought to take it. On the other hand, I'm not in favor of mandates. Uh, people, a certain percentage of people just go the other way. So uh, I'm in favor of education. I'm in favor of giving them uh, the carrot rather than the stick. But this is a complicated thing. You know, a good percentage of our medical providers, good percentage of our nurses are not vaccinated. Uh, so it's not just people that, that you know, of a particular ilk. It really does cross society. So if we're not careful, if we just come down in a heavy handed way and do this, my concern is, is that we won't be able to provide the health care, not only for veterans, but for lots of folks throughout the country. But now we're talking about veterans and then also making sure that uh, we're not going to create a tremendous backlog that we've worked so hard to diminish uh, because of the fact that you simply are not going to have a labor force. Uh, so many, so many people are baby boomers. They're at the age where they're thinking about retirement anyway. These are just stressors that push them over the edge. So I hope that's not going to be the case, but but I think it is a great concern. We're seeing that, uh, you know, indications of that all over the country. Uh, it, it seems like uh, you know some of our fire departments, our police departments, again, nurses, doctors, providers. All kinds of folks. Uh, I've heard from a lot of uh, people in the military, pilots. So this is something that we need to address, and I'd like to see us again encourage people to get vaccinated. But I don't think it should be mandatory from the federal government. But I'm wondering what else you think can be done to convince people to get vaccinated at this point, other than move to these more punitive measures in order uh, as a, as an impetus, um, since. You know, the administration has already given people a, a good chunk of time, along with providing counseling and answering questions, providing ample time to answer questions that people might have on the vaccine still. No, I understand, Jackie. It's, it's a difficult situation. I, I've got I've got friends that are, that are dear friends. I've got family that simply don't want to be vaccinated. Uh, and, and again, it's all walks of life. I'm sure that you're in the same position, you know, that you've got friends and family that uh, simply don't feel like they'd like to take the vaccine at this this point. A lot of women are concerned that, that you know, it might affect their childbearing capacity or this or that. Uh, you know, it, it's a complicated thing, but I don't think that we do uh, ourselves or do the country uh, a service in, in penalizing people that simply don't feel like that they'd like to do that. Yeah, just just yesterday, actually, a friend surprised me by telling me that they weren't uh, vaccinated. And um, this person in particular happens to be deep in conservative media, but that's a whole separate conversation. Um, but I want to ask you about the U.S. Postal Service's plan to get You'll find people that aren't deep in conservative media. I mean, this is, this is something that runs the real gamut of society right Well, I want to ask you about the U.S. Postal Service's plan to get into banking. Uh, the USPS wants to study if they should offer banking services, a measure you vehemently opposed. Many are asking why we would give them more to do when they can't keep up to their current demand of, of mail. What's your reaction to this? I think you just summed it up. You know, they, they struggle doing what they're doing. And so I would really encourage if we're going to spend more resources on the post office, and I'm a great supporter of the post office. So. I'm against this, but I'm very much in favor of the post office. We're in a situation where, you know, there's there's 
places all over. In fact, Arkansas is a good example. We've got 75 counties, uh, 50 of them lost population. That would be true throughout much of the country. Our rural areas, they, they really depend on the post office. Newspapers depend on the post office. And the list goes on and on. Economic activity that they, that they produce is great. I just don't think that they need to get into the banking industry. We've got banks, we've got credit unions, we've got all kinds of different vehicles. And uh, we might need to, if we're having problems, we might need to encourage them to come out with different products or different ways of serving the public. But uh, I don't think that the post office is, is the ones that ought to be doing it. And before we get move on to your reelection efforts, I wanted to ask you one more question about the VA. As a doctor, you are also trying to overhaul the VA to make it more accessible to women vets. Uh, for example, the VA greatly lacks women-focused services, um, such as gynecology experts and mammography. Uh, you are the lead sponsor on legislation to remove barriers for women to be treated at the VA by helping them get the care they need. Um, why has the VA failed to adapt for women vets on its own? Well, the VA is doing a much better job. If you look back not too long ago, predominantly the, the veterans uh, health, the veteran system in general was built for males because overwhelmingly that's who served. We had many women that did serve, but overwhelmingly it was a male-dominated entity. Now, in the last several years, we've got so many uh, women in service that are just doing not a good job. They're doing a tremendous job. And now we also have a number of, of female veterans. So it wasn't too long ago that you go into to the uh, maybe the, the VA uh, hospital. And if a woman was standing there, somebody might come up and say, you know, can I help you find your husband? Not knowing that they were actually a veteran. So the VA's worked really hard to, to get away from that. They're doing a much better job, but we're trying to, to push them even further. So myself, Senator Tester, again, working together, I created a, the Deborah Sampson Act, and that's really gone a long way. I'm working with Senator Wyden now on a, on a thing called the, uh, uh, it has to do with the Service Act. It has to do with making sure, what we're finding is, is that women that served in areas where there were toxic chemicals, burn pits, things like that, they're having a much higher instance of breast cancer at a much younger age. So we're making sure that the VA is recognizing that and then uh, lowering the standards as far as the age and things so that we can get them screened earlier. We've also got a, a bill called the MAMO Act, and uh, we're working with that bill to make sure that not only are they going to get screened at the appropriate early age, but what this says is you're going to do the screening, plus you're going to have the finest equipment in the world uh, to make sure that if the screening is done appropriately, that we're up to date. So these are good things. The VA is moving uh, rapidly in that direction. Still got some work to do. But another example, Democrats and Republicans working together to make sure that we take care of our veterans. When do you expect some of these bills that you've mentioned, especially particularly the ones you've worked on with John Tester, to ultimately pass? I think we'll get these things passed uh, before the end of the year. We've got an excellent chance of doing that. As you know, legislation just takes the time uh, you know, to get through. And uh, we've got all of this stuff going on that's kind of taking the oxygen out of the air. 
but uh, I, I think we've got a good chance. These, these are things that, that again, uh, are just common sense uh, that are just good for people. And so not tremendously expensive or anything like that. Then it wouldn't matter if they were uh, because it's something that, that we need to do. Uh, we always have to remember when we're talking about veterans, we're not talking about kidneys. These are armed benefits. Uh, if they're willing to serve, male or female, we need to take care of them. And former President Trump endorsed you in your re-election bid. What does his endorsement mean to you? Well, President Trump's very popular in Arkansas. And so I appreciate the fact that he did endorse me. I voted with him uh, most, almost all the time uh, in the sense of the issues that came about. Uh, because of that, we, had, uh, we did a lot. We had the best economy we've had in 50 years. Uh, we rebuilt, rebuilt the military to a large extent took care of our farm community, took care of our veterans. So uh, as a result, uh, I'm very proud of his support and it will be helpful to me in my reelection. And I'm wondering, you know, in this reelection campaign, um, how close to, to the former president do you feel like your policies and rhetoric needs to line up um, on some of these more divisive issues that we've been seeing, like election integrity and, and relitigating the results of the 2020 election? Jack, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it makes any difference. What I'm doing is talking to the people of Arkansas, and they're talking to me, as I said earlier, they're concerned about labor issues, they're concerned about the supply chain, and now they're, they're getting very, very concerned about inflation. So these are the things that, that I'll be talking about. These are the things that I'm working on uh, that really are huge things for our country. And so that's where we'll, we will be spending our time. And, and I think that's uh, you know, why the people of Arkansas appreciate me, that, that we are focused on the issues that are near and dear to their heart and, and really do make a huge difference. To them. But we have seen this issue of um, what Republicans are calling election integrity become one of the more galvanizing issues for the party going into 2022 and 2024. I guess I'm, I'm wondering where you stand on that and, um, you know, how you feel about Republicans who have yet to acknowledge um, or who have reversed course on acknowledging Biden's presidential win. Yeah, well, again, I think that what we ought to focus on is, is what I just said. Uh, and so uh, in regard to, to the election, uh, President Biden is the president and uh, I respect that. The other, the other question that I hear of besides uh, labor and the supply chain is who's actually running the White House. So there's concern in that regard. So again, these are things that we need to be concentrating on. Who do you think is running the White House? Yeah, I don't have any idea. Do you? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's funny. I, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering what in those conversations uh, is what people are speculating. I don't think they know. I mean, they're you know, they're uh, wondering who. President Biden relies on heavily, and I think there is a lot of speculation in that regard. Not only among people in Arkansas that, you know, pull me to the side and say, John, you know, who's really running the show? But I think that's true when I talk to my Senate colleagues also. I mean, that's kind of the, the question that's out there right now.
It is, but the Democrats are at the same time still on the precipice of potentially passing uh, some historic legislation that President Biden himself has been deeply involved in the negotiations of. Well, they're trying to. It's a rocky road, and we'll have to wait and see how how it turns out. I think Virginia is going to make a big difference in that. Uh, the closeness of the race there, the closeness of the race in New Jersey. I think the the country is more. Some are center right, some are center, some are center left, but they're not as far left as as what is coming out of the White House right now. And because of that, and because of the inflation tendencies, which Again, a lot of people are blaming on the $1.9 trillion, all of the money that we've been spending, um, you know. So because of that, uh, we'll have to wait and see, you know, how, how it winds up in regard to some of the policies that they've been proposing. Uh, I don't think America's ready for the cradle to grave, the massive spending and taxing. You mentioned the pay force, uh, stepped up basis was on the table. I think that's probably been taken off, increasing capital gains, the land exchange. This thing about if you have uh, $10,000 and originally it was $600 in your, in your bank account that, that you may, you know, you had $600 worth of transactions in your bank account, or now 10000 I think the average American is $61,000. People, people don't like that. Uh, the idea of hiring uh, 89,000 new agents and spending $80 billion additional, they understand that that's all about coming after that. So these are the kind of things I think that uh, Americans, whether they're in New Jersey or Virginia or Arkansas, are really starting to push back on. So if Democrats ultimately do pass the bipartisan infrastructure package, which was supported by a number of Republican senators, um, and the social spending package this week or next week, will you think that that's a success for the president? I, I don't think it's been a success. I think I think that discussion, not not the infrastructure package, but the the other package which started out at $6 trillion, pared down to three and a half. Now they're, they're down to 1.75. But no, I think the idea of all of the, the, the taxes that were on the table, uh, the other tax that they were talking about doing with billionaires where you were gonna tax unrealized gains. American people are smart enough to know that when, they, when we institute income tax, it was 1% to 7%. Senator got up and said, before you know it, you know, we'll, we'll, this will be 10%. He was essentially told, you know, he was crazy and that that would never happen. So the public is very, very leery of these things. So I don't, I don't think it will be a victory. It certainly doesn't appear to be that way based on what we're seeing in Virginia and based on what we're seeing in New Jersey. All of this factors into that. And I just want to revisit what we had just talked about, just to make sure we're not peddling any conspiracy theories here. But in terms of when you said that people are wondering who is running the White House, uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I just say, you know, who are the who are the who are the the most intimate advisors? You know, again, with with the things. What what is so unique with this process, Jackie? And is right now I'm the head Republican on agriculture. Agriculture has always been a very, very bipartisan thing. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. It's about regions of the country, 
The South has its need. The eyes, Indiana, Iowa, California is different. Our Great Plains, uh, all of those are different. And it's about commodities. It's about it's about sugar. It's about cotton and all of these things and the stakeholders. All of this is being done. There, there was $135 billion worth of agriculture spending in this bill. I wouldn't consult it a bit. No Republican was. No stakeholder was that I know of. I, everybody, I've asked, I've talked to most of the farm groups in America in the last two or three months. I've asked them. So this is coming from the White House. And, and most Democrats aren't being consulted, not just with agriculture, but with the entire package. So this really is unique. And because of that, uh, you don't get good legislation. You get unintended consequences, which I, see, I think we'll see in the future, which will not help them at all. And before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you one more question. We've got a big uh, election tomorrow in New Jersey and Virginia. I'm wondering what if Glenn, if Glenn Youngkin does win in Virginia tomorrow, what you think it means for the Republican Party heading into 2022? Well, I think that, that uh, we have to be careful because, you know, that doesn't mean that people will be voting for Republicans. It'll be voting, they'll be rejecting what the Democrats are, are trying to do right now. And so Republicans need to get ready. They need to have good, good uh, solutions to the problems that we're facing. We need to present that to the public so that they'll be voting for us rather than against the administration, what's happening right now. But this will be a big bellwether. I think we all agree with that. And as a result, it really, I think, will influence the behavior of the Democrats with some of the things they're trying to do. But Republicans, uh, we need to do a good job of expressing what we're for, not just what we're against. And unfortunately, Senator, we're all out of time for today, so we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.